Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Welcome to Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. Hoy me acompaña la doctora Tracy Flores. Flores is an assistant professor of language and literacy at the University of Texas at Austin. Her research focuses on Latina mothers and daughters' language and literacy practices, the teaching of young writers in culturally and linguistically diverse classrooms, and family and community literacies. Dr. Flores is the founder of Somos Escritoras, We Are Writers, a creative space for Latina girls, grades 6 to 12, that invites them to share and perform stories from their lived experiences using art, theater, and writing as a tool for reflection, examination, and critique of their worlds. Bienvenida a este episodio, Tracy. Uh, gracias, usted, para invitarme a hablar con, con usted sobre mi, um, mi vida y mi trabajo. Sí. Tracy, um, can you talk a little bit about yourself? ¿Dónde creció? Um, ¿Usted hablaba español e inglés creciendo? So I was born in Arizona. I lived in Arizona my entire life until I moved to Austin in 2017 mm -hmm. to work as an assistant professor of language and literacy studies. And so all of my family, all of my community, all of uh, a big portion of my teaching experiences and my work uh, started in, in Arizona. That's where, you know, I was raised, that's mm -hmm. where I was born families at that's where my teaching right I got my teaching wings where I learned how to teach and where I, I um, continue to go back to uh, to see those that I love so dearly and so mm -hmm. I was born and raised in Phoenix Arizona my parents were also from Phoenix uh, from Arizona as well so we have you know deep roots in Arizona and um, I learned Spanish a lot in school when my mother was younger growing up in Holbrook Arizona she endured a lot of um, some linguistic oppression, not some, a lot. She had a teacher who uh, who punished her for speaking Spanish on the playground. She was punished alongside her, her friends who spoke Navajo on the playground, and she'd have to come in at recess and write a hundred times on the board. Like, you know, like you hear in the movies, like right. you hear on TV that we hear, but I will not speak Spanish on the playground. And that really, that really hurt her. And to this day, she still has, you know, shame and hurt from th these events. And so um, we grew up with Spanish in our home, but it wasn't something that, you know, we spoke a lot of English at home. And so I, like I conversationally, I grew up, you know, with my Nana and my Tata and my, my mom and my dad. And it wasn't until, you know, I took Spanish in middle school and high school. And I continue to this day to try to reclaim it and mm -hmm. sustain it too to heal those wounds because I myself have endured different, different linguistic oppression because of not speaking Spanish the way people think I should, you know, mm -hmm. they see me and they see right. my last name, they see my work and, you know, it, it's like something doesn't connect here. And it's, you know, I always launch into, to my story, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. language and my history. And so I, it's a continuous uh, area of learning and growth and healing for myself but also for my mother and for my, for my daughter as well. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for saying, you know, it's a process of healing because I do I do hear those stories a lot um, from uh, people of maybe my generation, right, that there's a gap in between what their parents uh, went through and, and, and sort of what you explained, right, this um, sort of bullying, ling- linguistic injustice, um, and then how maybe they didn't want their kids to, to have that same experience. So um, knowingly or unknowingly, they uh, didn't teach Spanish, right? They didn't uh, teach Spanish to their children. So we do have um, generations that have um, either lost and reclaiming the language. Um, but yeah, those conversations um, I hear often, and I think we need to talk more about it, right? Because as you mentioned, um, there is this perception that because we look a certain way, um, we should, you know, speak Spanish, right? Or, or if we identify as Latina, Mexican, etc., that um, the default that is that that we speak Spanish, and that's not always the case. And there's several reasons um, for for that, right? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Tracy, can you tell us about your decision to become a teacher? And you started as a K through 12, right? A teacher, uh, and then now a professor at uh, UT yeah. Austin. Yeah, um, claro que sí. I went to, so when I was growing up, I had a teacher, I remember in second grade, Ms. Lanfer, who really nurtured me as a writer. And she told me I was a writer. We wrote every single day. She'd write back to us in journals. And we spent the year writing Mm -hmm. and storytelling. And it was a really rich experience. And I left her classroom just in love with writing. And I continued through school to have luckily teachers who who nurtured this within me. Mm -hmm. And I had another sixth grade teacher who I was placed in her class because of the rich reading and writing experience that she would uh, create for, for her students. And I um, wanted to be a writer. And so when I started college, I went to community college first. I went to Scottsdale Community College and I was a journal, I was a communications major. And then I moved towards journalism because I wanted to be a reporter. I wanted to write, uncover the stories to raise consciousness in our communities of what was happening Mm -hmm. to really um, share the real news of, you know, communities uh, facing, you know, injustices and also the stories of success in our community. And so I became a journalism major and I wrote for the school newspaper at Scottsdale Community College. And I actually started to have a following. It was really amazing. And then I, I left to go to Arizona State University and I continued um, with journalism into the Walter Cronkite uh, School of Journalism, which is an amazing program. And I learned so, so much from my professors, just editorial writing, uh, feature writing, also how to, you know, uh, lay out design. It was, it was wonderful. And as I was in there, I, I loved it. But I also knew that I didn't want to start as a copy editor. And there's nothing wrong with that. I I don't want to dismiss that because it's really important. I was kind of, do I really want to, you know, go this route? What do I, what I want to do? And that is when I, you know, I had always worked in our church youth group. I had, you know, coached softball. I, I liked working with kids and I decided I wanted to be a teacher. 
And that could be another way that I could make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so I remember telling my father that I wanted to do this. And he was like, Tracy, finish your degree. And then you can come back. Don't change majors, get your degree. Cause no one can take ever take that away from you. And then we will figure it out for you to go back and, and become a teacher. And so my grades weren't the best either. I'm going to throw that out there too. And so once I did, I had was going towards graduating with my, uh, journalism degree, I was able to take some of my prerequisites for the education program and it like shifted. Like I was, I was more, I was just more interested and more invested. It just felt different. And my grades, you know, they transformed and then I came back and got a second degree in multilingual, multicultural elementary education at Arizona State University. And I learned from amazing professors. I was worked in amazing schools. We had a field-based, my last semester before I student taught was my reading and writing semester. And we were, um, our house, our classes were taught in a local elementary school, Mackin Elementary in Phoenix. And we were there for two days a week for four hours. And we, you know, we're learning theory and then we push into classrooms and see the teachers like enacting, you know, these practices that are theoretically grounded in our communities. I was so just thrilled with everything and I continued student teaching in Arizona and I ended up teaching at the school where we had our field classes and I I loved it I missed the classroom every single day I taught for eight years in Phoenix and also Glendale Arizona I taught second through sixth grade I taught English language development I taught English language arts I taught all subjects and um as I was entering the classroom the English only laws went into to place, the English only mandates, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. SEI uh, instructional model, which uh, segregated our students who were labeled English language learners for four hours a day based on language uh, proficiency. And so I was noticing, I noticed instantly a shift in standards, instruction, and what we were supposed to be teaching for four hours a day, which limited access to other content areas for our students. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, you have like about six hours in the school day, four hours of that is taught, you know, reading, writing, listening, speaking, and then you have specials and lunch. And by the time that's done, you don't have very much time for anything else. Right. And I was also noticing my students, uh, policing each other's language hmm. because they were, you know, internalizing what was being told to them or what they were made to feel about who they were and their language, right. their language, which is very much a part of who they are. It's, mm-hmm. it's everything. So I um, continued to get my master's and then eventually I decided to get my, my PhD and I was going to continue teaching while I got my PhD. And then I got a uh, graduate research assistant with uh, Dr. Beatriz Arias. I resigned from teaching for the next year, which was very hard. Mm-hmm. And I went full time to get my doctorate. Then after four years, I, you know, was, I applied for jobs and I got the job at, at, AS, at UT Austin and um, leaving the ha- classroom was the hardest. I bet. And my work at UT has been really enriching because I applied here because of the work that we're doing in schools and communities. Mm-hmm. When I saw the job call and I, I knew the work that was happening and that I could go back to what I love and being in classrooms and working with students right. and preparing teachers in community um, I applied and I'm here and I, I love everything I get to That's do. That's great. Yes, absolutely. I really like what you say about um, how students 
you know, young kids are starting to police each other's languages because of the policies, right? Outside policies that are made um, and how that has an impact in our community. And I, yeah. and I don't think that we talk about that enough or, no. or how do we train and empower our teachers to make sure that the classroom is still inclusive, right, of multilingual um, students. Um, and, and I think um, you, you know that it's bad when students, you know, are, where little, when little kids are, are starting to sort of do that to each other and, you know, don't speak Spanish or whatever language or only speak English and things like that. But um, so, yeah, so I, I really appreciate you talking about that, but also the work that you're doing, right? And because yeah. so there's, there's us, you know, in the, in the, in the classroom at, at, the university, but also if you get to extend that work and share that um, sort of those practices, that knowledge um, to our uh, teachers in, in the community that has this much more, you know, greater um, impact, um, as I believe as an educator for yourself, you know, so, so that personal so enjoyment of, you know, seeing the work that you're doing in the classroom and your research and then uh, supporting students, or sorry, supporting teachers in, in the classrooms. Absolutely. And I see it all connected, like all this, the teaching, my work in Somos Sensory Thought Us, mm-hmm. uh, the teacher education, it's all inner, interwoven and in everything. And it really feeds back and forth into the decisions I make and, and thinking about how I'm organizing my classrooms for my future teachers too. Right. So I'm curious about how your own research, right, and and what you um, look into language practices and literacy practices uh, between mothers and daughters. Um, I'm curious to see how that um, also stems from your own experience, either with um, your you growing up or uh, with children uh, that you engage with, that you see, um, you know, mothers and daughters and the schools. Um, that where you taught. No, absolutely. And I know I earlier um, when I was talking about my my educational background and how I came into teaching, I talked about Miss Lanfer mm-hmm. as someone who nurtured me as a writer. And when I think about it, and I actually just texted my parents this, I I everything goes back to them. Everything, my teaching, my research, my service, it all started at my home in my home. Mm-hmm. It I was surrounded, um, I, I was raised in a home with a, lo- a lot of love and joy and where they embodied for me what it meant to be with other people, how, how to be with other people, mm-hmm. how we treat people with kindness, with dignity, with respect, how everyone you know has stories to tell, how I was raised in a family of storytellers mm-hmm. and a family of healers and, you know, really communal and familial. And it wasn't until I got to college that I was given, that I was, I read theories that connected to my experiences mm-hmm. yes. and where I was able to see the richness. I, I knew it was rich and I wasn't ashamed or anything like that. It was just, I never had teachers growing up that really, you know, drew upon those things or nurtured right. those things. Or, 
or saw them as, as assets. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until I got to college that I, you know, read funds of knowledge, community, cultural wealth, my doctorate, I read, you know, Audre Lorde, Gloria Anzal do it wasn't until I read these theories that I really started to recognize like these gifts and, um, that you brought with you that your family and and community had, had, had given you, right? Yes, absolutely. And so my work started at home and, um, you know, with the stories, all these healing practices, the advice, a lot of story. I always go back to the stories because we, we sit up even to this day, especially during the pandemic when we're all together, we share every meal together and we're at the table for hours, you know, and we eat and then we, we sit and we talk and my, my mother and my father shared things that they hadn't shared ever with us during the, during um, the pandemic. And I just, the work I do it really is rooted in, you know, the stories that we carry with us and the stories that we pass along throughout the generations for different purposes and how, you know, they, there's lessons and there's love and there's struggle and there's always a way forward. And so my work in, in classrooms, my work in my classroom is really about supporting my pre-service teachers and really thinking about our students as storytellers, as writers, as Mm -hmm. having come from this tradition. You know, we are born with these gifts that are nurtured in us since, since we're children. And as teachers, how do we continue to nurture that in our classrooms, in our writing classrooms across the content areas? And so the grounding for my, you know, language, my literacy courses, Mm -hmm even graduate students and thinking about how we work with communities and our own stories alongside the stories of our, the participants in which we're, you know, privileged to work with. And then with Somos Escritoras, when I was a classroom teacher, um, I created a space for, I invited my, my second grade students and their families mm-hmm. into the classroom to write and share their stories. And it was during the time when SB 1070 was, you know, going and being implemented and, you know, our students were scared. Our families were scared. There was a lot of unknown and, you know, parents were keeping their children at home because there was being neighborhood sweeps and, Hmm. you know, this family writing workshop was happening during that time. It just all kind of happened at once. And the workshop became like a space for us, you know, not only to share our stories, but to share resources and to to help each other during that time. And I learned so much about my families and myself during that time. And we built a community, you know, that was rooted in our, you know, stories and storytelling. And I continued that work at the different schools I worked at after that. And then that carried with me to my dissertation work. Um, My last year in the classroom, I taught sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And I had a really amazing group of really strong and fierce and powerful independent sixth grade girls who wanted, you know, we just built really great relationships. And then, you know, they'd come in at lunch and want to talk to me about their periods and <laughs> tell all these stories that I, when I was that age, like, it was like, we didn't talk about those things. Right. Like even as an adult, there's certain things I don't talk about with my, you know, my mother or just to talk about mm-hmm. and to hear them just, you know, just talk and share. And there was other things we talked about too. And I was like, you know, I talked with them and I listened, 
But I also thought, you know, I don't know how their parents will feel if they're like, oh, Miss Flores is saying these things or whatever. So I, I did a lot of listening. <laughs> right. And, you know, I understand I'm a mom now too. And so uh, in my graduate courses, I thought about the girls and I thought about the work with my second graders alongside families. And I thought like, what if there was a space for when girls, they're not, they're not young children anymore. They're adolescents, but they're not young women. They're in that, you know, mm-hmm. in, in between right. space. What if there was a space where they could come together with their parents and, you know, dialogue and, you know, through stories and storytelling, the ways that we do around a kitchen table. And that's where the Somos Estritoras, that's how it all came together for our girls during this time. How can we, you know, build, build relationships? How can we support their aspirations? And in that space, there was a lot of storytelling, you know, and the girls really started to see their parents as more than just their parents as they were young ones too. And, you know, they, they experienced life before you. And so there was a a beautiful conversations, hard conversations, Mm -hmm. but also a lot of um, support that came out of that space. And so I continued that work for for a couple of summers until I moved to Ayers, to UT, Mm -hmm. to Austin. And after those first couple of summers with parents and their daughters, the girls wanted their, their own space and so what it is today is a space for Latina girls mm-hmm. to come to the community, to engage in the intellectual work of our ancestors. We are storytellers, we are writers, we are musicians, we are poets. And, you know, we are in this tradition. We are continuing this tradition and we're going to use our writing and our voices to amplify our stories. Right. I, I do think that there um, there is value on having those mother-daughter um, spaces, right, of uh, it, it, story um, telling exchanges and and conversations and I and I do see the value of that because I I, I think I agree with you sometimes um, when girls young girls at that age um, there is very little coming like deep <laughs> I guess conversations or communication with the parents with the mothers and allowing a space like this to exist um it is valuable for them to like see their parents in a different way um understand yeah. a little bit more about them their story right um and I always thought well you know wouldn't it have it would have been great if I had had that opportunity right with my mother um to to know her in a different way when I was, you know, on those difficult years of adolescence, which is very, it's hard, right? Everything is happening all at once yes. <laughs> and, and a lot of emotions. And um, and if you have a, a time to, to really listen to each other, maybe there is something, you know, good that comes out of that. Um, and that um, even builds, I don't know, stronger um, bonds between mothers and daughters. Do you also write? Are you uh, a creative writer? I, I know you you publish, right? You you are an academic writer, but do you also write? Yes, I I do a lot of writing alongside the girls, and I also do some of my own personal writing, not as much as I would like. And I I have gotten back into before I sit down to work, reading some poetry mm-hmm. to fire all of the work that I'm doing, whether it be the academic, you know, journal writing or any personal writing that I'm doing. But I do have, um, I do want to write more because I write with my students in our courses. I write with the girls in Somos Estritoras. And it's definitely something that I want to return myself. A lot of what I, I write about is my personal experiences. 
I write a lot about my experiences with um, my te- in my teaching mm-hmm. that I keep a journal about. And I'm also writing, um, trying to, to write my parents' stories mm-hmm. because I don't want to lose those stories. Right. Um, I don't want to lose them when they're no longer here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's a lot of what, where I'm at right now. And I, I do write some poetry, but I, I very, I, I need to get braver as I tell the girls and, and who I share it with and how I share it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tracy, um, can you share a story of success, uh, you know, in this, or a special story that you want to share about um, the women that, the young girls that um, attend this uh, writing workshops or writing spaces? Yeah, yes, there's, there's so many. And we actually have, um, there's a couple, there's two I want to share with you. Mm-hmm. So our very first summer um, here in Austin, when we uh, first had it in 2018, that was the first summer, we hosted it at the Comi Madre offices in, um, in Austin, the director at the time. And I met with her and I'm telling her about the work. And she's like, you can, let's do it here. And so we recruited some girls from the program, but also from the larger community. And one of the young ladies who came was a rising, she was a rising seventh grader. And she was amazing. And she was already identified as a writer, already identified as a reader. She'd bring books every day. Anytime we had a break, she'd be reading. And every time we, you know, we did a lot of, we do a lot of, uh, reading different types of texts or watching videos or looking at art and then quick writes and then share you a lot of quick writes, uh, talking and then back to the writing, you know, cause writing is very social. And so every time we would be writing, she'd always, everything was a poem and, you know, and it was, I have just stacks and stacks from that summer for poetry in response to everything that we were doing. Wow. And, um, we've continued to be in touch and she's going to be a senior this year. And she has come back in the summers and been a junior mentor, um, with the work that I do for NCTE, which is the national council of teachers in English. Uh, I'm on the elementary section. Uh, I was on the past chair and I commissioned her to write a poem for, for that, for an event we had. Mm-hmm. And she read it on zoom, wow. you know, with a little pair, a little honorarium. And I've just seen her grow and, and evolve in very beautiful ways and ways that I knew she had it in her, but you know, things take time. And sometimes you have to find, realize those things yourself mm-hmm. and yeah. continue to, you know, talk on the phone. We we're going to write some manuscripts together and I'm just really excited for all that the world that she's going to give to the world. And she's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Continuing to be a writer she wants to go into engineering and, you know, also think about how writing can be part of that. And so that's one, and she's going to be a senior. So I've seen her since she was like 12 years old, all the way to like now. And then she comes back and supports the girls. And it's just, I, I love her to death. And then when we were during the pandemic, we host, we since 2020, we've hosted remote workshops in the summer. And that really opened us up to different, uh, to for girls to join us from different parts of the state, mm-hmm. but also part of the country. Right. And two girls, their sisters that have come since 2020. So they came 2020, 2021, 2022. And this is the first summer they won't come because they're 
in Waxahachie. Mm-hmm. Um, and their, their mother was trying to figure out how to bring them, but it's not going to work out. However, um, these two young women, again, I've seen them since they were sixth, seventh graders. And now they're like, you know, sophomores, juniors in high school. They are just so bright and brilliant and the ways they see the world and the things that they name in the world and how they are writing about their experiences and standing up for themselves in their school and community is really beautiful. And again, they, they had it in them. So almost, I feel it just kind of waters those seeds. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause they in them. And I've also developed a really close relationship with the, with their mother mm-hmm. who now is a, a assistant principal at a school, um, where they, they live. And we, she's told, she continues to tell me about how the girls are doing and the things, how she sees their growth from being in Somos Estritoras. And, um, I'm really grateful for that relationship. Cause I also not only have a personal relationship with the mom, but we also talk professionally as educators and, you know, the girls are, are just thriving in really, really beautiful ways. And I, I'm so excited also for what's, what's ahead of them. Right. And right. so it's, and the, the mother, uh, their mother, she talked to me a lot about how in 2020 with all, with the mm-hmm. pandemic, everything being remote, everyone kind of being isolated and then all the racial uprising that summer, how, you know, her daughters were, you know, especially one was really depressed and, you know, very alone and how she feels like so much as we thought us, you know, saved her was that community and that, that connection to people who understood what she was going through. Mm -hmm. Cause she's also different spaces that can be very conservative. And so she was feeling that as well. Right. And the space really was a healing space. And we, we designed it. We, these last, we always designed it this way, but really thinking about what's happening in the world and the Mm -hmm. need to connect. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Um, and I can think of, you know, just writing as an outlet, right, of uh, uh, thinking and, and, and talking about what's happening around us to help us make sense um, or to just get it out. And I, I, and I feel like that, um, that, w- that is what happens, you know, with, uh, when, when you um, uh, allow that space for the, for, for the girls to express themselves through writing. So that's such a powerful um, example. And what are some of the challenges uh, that you faced um, with this program or, or even the transition, you know, from um, being a K through 12 educator to, to being here now in, in Texas? No, absolutely. Uh, some of the challenges, I have to really think about that because I really draw on my work as an educator, as a, as a, in the K-12 classroom, mm-hmm. think about the work in SOMOS and also what's happening, what I observe in classrooms today, um, what teachers share with me uh, very candidly about some of the challenges that they are, they are seeing and the need for people to connect and um, what we continue to need to heal from the last two, three years that we're going to continue to see in our classrooms and in our young people uh, because there's a lot of stuff that happened during the pandemic. Uh, Lives were lost. There was a lot of unknowns. We saw, you know, the racial uprisings. um, We were all experienced that from our homes. And 
I, I think about that as, as in the work as um, continuing to need to, to heal. I'm thinking about how Somos can be a healing space too. And it, I've always seen it like that, but also how we can continue to ensure that the girls uh, can come and, and, and share openly and honestly. Mm -hmm. um, some of the challenges I would say is as a faculty member, time mm -hmm. always. Uh, this is something I do above and beyond my two-two load, my service load, all of the things. And, but it's also the most important work for me that I, and so I, I, I find the time because it, we need this. Mm -hmm. I, you know, there's the community has, um, we're going to be in person this year for the first time since 2019. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm trying to figure out how to continue maybe like each summer having a remote space or a zoom space. And then also the in-person. Uh, because I, but it's also about time and my capacity and to do it well for our community. Because I don't want to rush to put it together. It's really intentional who, you know, the, the mentors in the space, the curriculum we put together, the offer, the activities, we're going to host it at the Benson. Again, that's really intentional, um, bringing them to UT, all of those things. And it's time, always time. Right. Time is always um, the, always. the biggest challenge. <laughs> There's so many yes. good things, right? And, and are um, also the challenge for us to, to say no to good things, right? Uh, to, to supporting others, to, to engage in the community, work with, uh, with the girls. So yeah, I, I can attest to that. <laughs> always not just throwing this together. Like our, like my colleague, uh, Maggie Rivas always reminds me, like our community our people deserve good things mm -hmm. we have to do it well mm -hmm. do you know what I mean that's right that's right Tracy eh, en qué proyectos estás actualmente trabajando aside you know I know you have the Somos Escritoras uh, this summer um, is there anything else that you're maybe working on either your research or um, or something else to do with um, your work in the community yes I um I have a book that's in in the works right now i'm working on the edits with my editor seems like it's going to be like moving into production very quickly and so this is a book that i've been writing for a while but i really wrote during the pandemic at my mother's kitchen table mm. when i was six and um it is a book about teaching multilingual writers and it highlights six teachers uh five from texas and one from arizona and the practices of their classroom space mm -hmm. that really nurtures and sustains our students as, as writers and storytellers. Mm -hmm. And it's through the National Council of Teachers of English. So that's something that I'm, I'm working on. And I'm also, um, Somos is a big part of my, of my summer. Yeah, I'd have to think about that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so those I are big projects. Like, <laughs> the oh, book, a book and Somos Escritoras. <laughs> Well, good luck with everything that's coming up. Tracy, gracias por esta conversación. Gracias, gracias a usted para invitarme y para uh, su apoyo en, en mi trabajo. Claro. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Mm -hmm.